0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast, where we talk about literally everything (laughs) Kubernetes related. So operations, dev, everything in between. My name is Michael Levan. I'm your host, and I'm joined by special guest Neil Creswell, CEO and co-founder of Portainer. Neil, welcome. Thank you for joining.
1: Thanks for having me, Michael. Pleasure to be here.
0: Good, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely glad we were uh, able to connect. I know we're, we're a little bit uh, away from each other from time. So I'm having my coffee while you uh, may be having a beer right now, give or take. <laughs> we're getting pretty close.
1: <laughs> I, I'm actually currently sitting in Germany. So it's actually uh, lunchtime, believe it oh, or not.
0: There you go. All right. <laughs> cool, yeah. cool. So we are going to pretty much be talking about today, simplifying container management. And you know, I think Portainer really stuck out to me uh, and I really have enjoyed using the product so far. Funny enough, I actually have my web browser in front of me. Um, I just you know, spun it up on Minikube. Uh, I connected an Azure Kubernetes service cluster to it um, and all in the matter of Five minutes, if that. Uh, so there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here. So maybe you can, you know, give, give a brief explanation, or you know, go go as in depth as you'd like about Portainer. You know, why you started it, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. So it, it all boils down to my background. So I I've been a consultant a very long time. Um, started out at IBM and and uh, worked in my own company. I was consulting through VMware and. and just designing really large scale mission critical enterprise uh, virtualization based infrastructures for organizations and the these solutions were amazing they were they were technically you know very very complete very thorough but they were they were, they were quite complicated for day two operations i i changed my my position and, and became a cio of an e-commerce company and had to had to really deal with The mission critical nature of customer facing production systems and the millions of dollars you lose when you have downtime. I changed again and I was CEO of a cloud service provider and up the ante even further. When you're running infrastructure systems and you've got hundreds or thousands of paying customers whose businesses rely on you to have a highly available system, when outages occur and Make no mistake, outages always occur for everybody. When they occur, the last thing you want is an extended period of time to find a problem and fix the problem. And one of the things I found is whilst you might have one person, two people, or an external consulting agency who helped you design and build a system, at three in the morning when the entire thing is on fire around you, complexity will will rear its ugly head and will bite you. And the more complicated the environment is to build and manage, generally the longer it will take for people to find the problem and fix the problem. And through my you know, through that, that career transition, I became a huge fan of remove complexity. As a consultant, you, you wanna build an amazing system. As a CIO and CEO, you want a system that as many people can support as possible. And that, that means removing complexity, removing complexity, removing complexity. And when I got exposed to containers and Kubernetes, I thought this stuff is amazing. This tech is amazing. It's going to let any, any organization anywhere in the world deliver really rich digital services to their customers. It'll allow organizations to be highly competitive, to spin up you know really impressive e-commerce type solutions or, or any kind of digital initiative. But my goodness, it's complicated. And how, how, oh, how can I provide the simplicity of of a cPanel type, you know, web UI for containers? And that was really the whole ethos behind Portainer. How do I, how do I enable anybody to use this tech by making it as simple as possible to for, for, for day two operations? And that's really been the ethos. that's all the focus.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, prior to the call, I was looking at your background. And you know, you've you've done everything. Like you said, you know, you've been an engineer, you've been an architect, you've been in the leadership positions. So you've kind of seen it from, you know, being hands on writing code, deploying to like, wow, okay, I'm not, you know, doing the engineering anymore. But I'm responsible now for answering the question of, why do we have this downtime? Why is this taking so long? You know, and that's, those two positions are very different, but it's it's good for you at least, right? Because you've been able to see both sides of the spectrum. And with that, you were able to create a product around both of those sides.
1: Yeah, the, the, there is nothing worse as a CIO or, or CEO, when you're having an outage to say to your engineering team, hey team, what's wrong? And how long until it's fixed? And the team saying, I don't know. And how how as a... An IT or company executive can I go to my my customers, internal or external, and say something's wrong? We've got no idea what's wrong, and we've got no idea how long will be till it's fixed. You just can't do it. You can't. So you 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 need you need to make make day two ops troubleshoot triage easy. And it's not just day two ops troubleshoot and triage. It's day two ops in regards to security and compliance best practices. It's the whole gamut of day two operations. So you, how how do you how do you do that? And it's really interesting because yeah, you know, Kubernetes, especially over time, it's actually got more complicated, not <laughs> easier to use, because it's become more and more and more flexible. It's become more and more and more extended by a range of products. So the complexity is actually increased, not decreased. So there's even more of a need for products like Portainer now to help day two ops than even you know two years ago. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, you know. <laughs> Funny enough, I've, uh, I, I've you know, I, I pretty much do everything from like consulting, engineering, content creation, all that stuff. And I've spent a little bit of time as an analyst as well. So I've kind of been able to see like, or project rather, you know, the market. And it kind of seems like, you know, maybe a year or two ago, everything was all about, you know, secrets management and, and configuration data and all that stuff. Now, it's like everywhere that I look, there's just a new Kubernetes product popping up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's you're, it, the reason why is because exactly like you just said, like it's complicated. I mean, I I feel like I, I talk to people and I get two sides. I either get this is insanely complex or no, this is straightforward. You know, you just log into a cloud provider and you spin up a cluster and you deploy some apps and you're done. And I, I always argue the fact that like it's unless you're like a super small organization it's never that easy to just spin it set it and forget it
1: well it's more than that even in a cloud provider so let's say let's say you take amazon or azure any of them actually any of the providers are all the same what they do is spin you up a kubernetes cluster with a with with a control plane they they give you the the cluster admin permission and you're on your own kubernetes out of the box it's insecure right Mm -hmm. so there's no no pod security policies there's no there's no namespace security policies there's no quotas the the default namespace is open anyone can deploy anything anywhere there's nothing and anybody can actually uh use use their their google foo to find a manifest file or a helm chart and spin up spin up an application and sure the application is running but is it running securely and Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've seen the latest um latest uh, feedback, I think it's from one of the um, security vendors. There's something like three hundred and eighty thousand Kubernetes environments that are publicly exposed to the internet and insecure.
0: And Nobody saw that?
1: It's crazy. and 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 all those environments are because they're they're cloud provider environments that people have googled how how to deploy an application. the app's running, but it's not running safe and secure. And again, our whole thing is let's apply safe, sane, secure defaults so that whenever someone's deploying, not only is it easy to deploy, but it's deployed in a really safe and secure way out of the box using Portainer. That's really, really important.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think security is well, as I'm sure, you know, security is overlooked in general, but I I feel like it's, it's definitely overlooked uh, just getting down to the nitty gritty in, in Kubernetes. And, and I kind of feel like I, I, you know, I blame that on, on tech marketing because, you know, everywhere that you read, it's like, yeah, you know, Kubernetes is going to make your life easier and there's not a lot you have to do. And you know what, it's true to a certain extent, you know, like you, You know, deploying applications, scaling applications, uh, self-healing applications. Yeah, like that stuff is super easy. Uh, You know, it's out of the box, so to speak, in Kubernetes. But then when you get down to, you know, like you said, with uh, security-based stuff, I mean, I was even having a conversation the other day about running pods. And, you know, I asked the question, well, how are you running pods? Oh, well, you know, we have a Kubernetes manifest and we're deploying it. I was like, okay. I was like, but I'm looking at your manifest and I don't see any service accounts being used to deploy your pod. And, you know, they were like, well, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, in Kubernetes, there's a default service account that gets deployed Uh, with every pod. That's how the pod is deployed because it has a default service account. But that's incredibly insecure because pretty much everybody has access to that service account. You're not doing any type of security segregation from like an RBAC perspective that way. Um, So yeah, I mean, even getting down to like internals of how Kubernetes works, I see that overlooked a ton from a security standpoint.
1: Yeah, I mean, our our whole premise by Multainer is let's actually make Kubernetes invisible to to the end user. Yeah, the end user should just say, "I want to deploy my app," mm. and and Bultana says, "Yep, we got you." And in the back end, we make sure that it's that it's deployed with the right amount of security. Because if you if you leave it to the dev or the DevOps professional to have to know how to how to deploy this stuff in in a, in a really safe, secure, yeah, you know, compliant way the level of skill and experience that these people need is ridiculously high and so how do you get people with that level of skill and experience and if you do get them how much is it going to cost you and how are you going to retain them and what we need to do is actually lower the bar you know, the skills bar so that a far greater number of people can safely deploy because only with a greater number of people will you actually get large scale mainstream adoption. If if, if if the bar is very high, you you're you really are going to minimize the number of, of organizations that can have access to this tech, or they will deploy in a non-safe, secure way.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I totally agree with you with finding the right people for the job. You know, uh, there, there's two sides of the spectrum that I hear. I hear either A, uh, we can't find somebody with this skill set because, you know, Nowadays with, you know, the, the great resignation and, you know, engineers being in super high demand right now, because of how complex this stuff is, everybody can pretty much go anywhere. Uh, So it's, you know, the one piece of it is like, you know, how do you retain the employees from an engineering standpoint? And then I think the second thing too is, and and I, I, I say this a lot, the, the level of abstraction that we talk about, like really scares me because there's, there's so much marketing out there and there's so much like just documentation in general of like, yeah, you know, this is super easy. This is all abstracted from you, this, that, the next thing. And like, yeah, it's kind of, sort of true. But then when you get down into that abstraction and you really look at what's happening, like a lot of the stuff, like you said, is not secure out of the box. So like, yeah, it's abstracted and you know, there's not a lot of stuff you have to do. And yeah, that's great. But at what cost? I mean, I think I was reading something, uh, I, I don't know if it was from a 2021 or a 2020 survey by Red Hat, uh, and apologies if I'm butchering this, but I think it was like 75% of um, respondents for that survey said that they don't want to use Kubernetes because of the security implications. Yep,
1: yep, yeah, it's definitely, we 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 did some of our own surveys like that as well. And, and yeah, we're saying what, what are the what are seen as the primary barriers to adoption uh, of Kubernetes at in a larger scale? And it, it was the the skills ramp up time, it was the concerns around security, and it was the the, the inability to, to uh obtain skilled resource. Now the you know the first and the third are somewhat linked. So if you said complexity and skilled resource are one and the same, really it is concerns around security and the things too hard. And if you can address both of those, then really you do unlock. Massive scale adoption of this tech, and only once it is you know wide, wide widespread adoption can can we can we truly experience the benefits of Kubernetes. And if you look back at VMware's uh, adoption roadmap over time, you know in the early days it was stupidly complicated. The, mm-hmm. the The best of the best organizations could do it, and it was only once they got into i think probably the second or third version of vCenter, and they took away the need to do it to do anything from the command line everything was in was in you know, wizards and, and UIs. did we go from 5 10 20 50 70 90 virtualized globally and and that that's the thing with kubernetes we're still we're still too far down the curve it's still too hard too niche uh, in regards to skills you know skills required To get that massive adoption um across all applications i mean a lot of organizations are playing with kubernetes but if you said to them what percentage of your of your business apps are running in kubernetes you'll probably find it's five percent ten percent at best
0: right yeah and i think it's it's funny because a lot of people don't realize or think about that like kubernetes is still so new i mean it you know google released it to the public in 2014 2015 so it hasn't even been a decade since it's actually been out and in the wild. And as you know, I mean, it takes uh, four, you know, three to five years, give or take for organizations to actually start looking at new technology, unless they have a specific reason. So really, I mean, the past year or two is like when people are actually starting to be like, oh, well, let's, let's implement this Kubernetes thing and let's kind of see what's happening here. I I was fortunate enough to kind of start working with it in like 2016, 2017. Um, so I was there for, you know, almost since the, the public release beginning, but you know, a lot of people, like you said, are, are just getting ramped up on it now. I mean, it's absolutely insane, uh, how fast it's moving, but the simple fact that we don't have enough engineers to to manage it. I mean, it's it's the truth, um, and and you know even going back to what you said with the the level of complexity, there I, there's a reason why people are calling Kubernetes you know the operating system of the cloud or the data center of the cloud because. You need an entire team, like you need people that are dedicated to the security aspect, you need people that are dedicated to the operations to the dev aspect. It's not just like, a, hey, let's go find a Kubernetes guy, uh, or gal and and hire them and just, you know, kind of go with it and see if they can do all of it. Like, I, I don't think that's realistic, right?
1: Uh, and it was really funny. If, if you think back a few years, right, we 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 had infrastructure specialists, we had network specialists, storage specialists, security specialists, server specialists, right? We had these people who were trained and specialized in their field and knew how to do things the best out of anyone in their field. You know, Kubernetes came along or, you know, Docker and Kubernetes came along and all of a sudden we've kind of forgotten that. And it's like, yeah, just what do you need is someone who knows Kubernetes? Well, that's not true. So if you're going to be deploying a stateful application on Kubernetes, you still have to worry about things like like disk IOPS and throughput and disk latency. If if you if you're having scale out database services, you still need to know about how you do you know, multi master replication. And all the stuff is still a very specialist skill. And if we keep saying, "Oh, don't worry, that that's just a Kubernetes devops person," oh my goodness, they see their CV and and the the again the barrier to entry skyrockets. I mean, how do you know what type of storage class to use? You know, should should you use NFS versus block storage if you if you're going to be hosting a MySQL database in Kubernetes? Yeah, only 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 through through experience will you will you know the right answer to that. So you know, there there are, there is still a need to have specialized skills, even with a Kubernetes level abstraction, you still don't get away from the fact that end of the day, the disk, you know, disk is still important. Networking is still important. Security is still important. And those, those specializations are sub specializations now within Kubernetes. So yes, someone is a Kubernetes generalist, but within there, there are specializations within Kubernetes as well.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's, It's absolutely wild. I, I unfortunately think that a lot of organizations will uh, have to stumble and fail before they realize that. Cause you know, still, I I see the same thing. People ask me all the time, Hey, do you know, Kubernetes? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, cool. So can you do this, this, and this, I was like, yeah, you know, theoretically I can, but you're, Mm -hmm. you're also asking for five different people (laughs) right now (laughs) with five different specialties. So, yeah
1: basically the term the term do you know kubernetes means are you an entire it department <laughs> uh, maybe
0: <laughs> exactly yeah and, and i uh i think that's the same problem with uh our do you know devops right but i'll i'll digress from that topic because i feel like i could talk about that for the next five or six hours uh, well actually, <laughs> actually
1: so that, that's also something else that i tried to address in portainer yeah Mo- moving moving from from ClickOps, you know, man, manual deployments through to, to through to code-based deployments through to GitOps, that progression also requires quite a bit of skill and experience. And again, in Portainer, I tried to make that really simple. So, you know, u- using Portainer, you can actually say, I want, to, I want to deploy an application. And you can say, well, I want to deploy it no code, in which case our wizard will build you the code required to deploy. So we will ask you some human language questions and with, with no, no coding whatsoever, you can deploy your application into prod. You can choose to just leverage manifest files or Helm charts uh, and paste them in or link to them. Or if you if you want to move into automation, you know, again, using Portainer, an end user, the developer, using using their actual credentials can link to a Git repo and deploy an application from within Portainer, constantly linked and polled you know, and updated from Git. So we've really, lower the barrier to entry for GitOps automation as well. You don't have to go and deploy any Argo CD type tools, it's just native in Portainer as well. Because again, there's just too many too many technologies that you need to deploy to manage Kubernetes. And my, my view is you shouldn't need to, you know, you know, Portainer should be the tool you need to use, or it should be a, a singular tool you need to do all the stuff because why not the more tools you have the the more skill you need to you know to maintain the, the more moving parts you've got in the infrastructure and it just it just costs more to run
0: right right yeah no that's awesome i, I actually didn't know about the GitOps thing in portainer but that's really cool to hear because that's I, I think that's something that i see in here come up more and more is you know okay cool we have this kubernetes thing and yeah i can open up vs code on my terminal and do a kubectl apply and push it out to my cluster but how do we, you know, do this automatically? And that's where the conversation before GitOps was like, you know, hey, let's just, you know, uh, pop our manifest into a CI/CD pipeline, deploy it, do all of our testing, et cetera. But now the conversation is absolutely going more and more towards GitOps because it, it makes more sense, right? Like it's configuration management for Kubernetes and that makes far more sense than, you know, calling a bunch of Kubernetes manifests in, in a CI/CD pipeline.
1: Yeah, it, it, it does. And yeah, you know, Git, GitOps is a really nice way. Yeah, you know, we in Portainer, we've extended our GitOps to support Docker, Docker Swarm, Kubernetes, and Nomad. So, you know, most other GitOps tools are only for Kubernetes. So yeah, you know, there's no reason why you can't have GitOps even as a developer on your local Docker instance. There's no reason. You know, once you start adopting your GitOps principles, you should really use those everywhere. So yeah, you know, we we've we've made that capability across available across the board. And it it's really just ensuring that once you start your journey with a tool like Portainer, you know, that, that the, the, tool, the tool can stay with you as, as you grow and mature. It's it's not a tool to use for the first six months of your of your Kubernetes career, it's a tool that, that, that grows with you.
0: Right, right, no, that's awesome. Yeah, so I, I was diving in a little bit to Portainer and one of the things that really stuck out to me is exactly like you said, you know, we're able as engineers to manage everything from Kubernetes to Docker Swarm. Uh, I'm even noticing now that there's a connector for Azure ACI. So, you know, with all of that, I mean, you know, especially like Azure Container Apps just went GA, uh, you know, a couple days ago via uh, Microsoft build and stuff. So there's, there's a lot of different Kubernetes style or orchestration style tools or platforms rather that are coming out. Uh, Do you see Portainer being the thing to manage all of them? Because I feel like a lot of uh, platforms are just solely focused on Kubernetes, uh, but they're forgetting the fact that, hey, you know what, listen, maybe Kubernetes did win the orchestration war, but I still know organizations that are running Docker Swarm because simply put, it's a little bit more straightforward to deploy.
1: Yeah, so I've I've, I've always said the the more tools you have, the 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 harder it is for for new people into your into your organization to learn the tooling. The more maintenance that you have to have for the platform, and and therefore your know, the overall efficiency uh, decreases. And so I've wanted to have a singular tool that that manages everything. So you, you you learn the tool once, or in all honesty, the tool is so easy to use, you just learn it through through using the tool. You don't have to go and do anything special. Um, and for us, we care about deploying your applications that are packaged as containers. We're not a Docker tool. We're not a Kubernetes tool. We're, we're not a serverless tool. We're a container application deployment and management tool. Mm-hmm. The, the, and, and in all honesty, for, for organizations, the actual platform is completely irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. It, the, the fact that you run Docker or Kubernetes or, or ACI or Cloud Run should actually be irrelevant. From from the business perspective, from the dev perspective, what do they want? They want highly available, flexible systems, and they want their applications to run in microservices. That's all. Yeah, you know, the rest of it is actually irrelevant. The rest of it is tech for tech's sake. The the actual stack behind the scenes is irrelevant. No one really cared whether it was VMware or Hyper V or Proxmox or any of the other ones. It was it was the fact that it was a virtualized infrastructure that that was that was important. And it's the same the same kind of thing with with uh, container platforms too
0: right yeah no i totally agree with you 100 i think that there are always i think going to be different levels like as an engineer i'm always going to look at you know hey what is this serverless tool doing or hey what is this orchestration tool doing compared to the others but that's kind of like the day one stuff right like figuring that out and then once you get to day two operations it it really shouldn't matter, like you said. Like, it shouldn't matter where you're running it. Uh, you know, the code is running, the the platform is up, et cetera. Now it's time to worry about managing it, how are we gonna do that, et cetera. And that's really where, you know, as you said, Portainer kind of comes in because Portainer doesn't care what it's running on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't care about where it's running. All it cares about is making your life simpler, you know, from an orchestration standpoint.
1: Yeah, and and ensuring security. Right. And, you know, configuring RBAC and Kubernetes, it's not that easy it really isn't and, <laughs> and so so do it, doing it in one cluster it's okay doing it in two clusters you're like okay i've done it in one cluster i'll just have to copy and paste my stuff and do it in the second cluster i'll have to do do some tweaks okay now you've got three clusters you've got 10 clusters and you're like hang on a second this is getting a bit ridiculous <laughs> then all of a sudden you need to do an oidc connector so you can get your authentication from an upstream provider now now you're worrying about users change roles So now now you've got to do not only user authentication, but you now need to do teams and groups mapping so that when a user moves from Dev Team 1 to Dev Team 2, they don't have access to the cluster for Dev Team 1, they've got access to the cluster for Dev Team 2. How do you make sure that the platform is always maintaining uh, consistency with the actual organizational hierarchy and the access needs of the organization? How do you do that? you know, doing this for one cluster, yeah, you can probably Google your way through it and do it a bit manually. But as you scale and and get more environments, oh my goodness, you want you want to just do that once centrally. And again, Portainer just does that for you. So you can you can have that centralized RBAC across Google, across Amazon, across Rancher on prem, across microk you name it. Who cares? We just link it together and make sure that it's it's all centrally controlled, federated, maintained, and and safe.
0: Yeah, it is. A major pain in the butt to manage our back. Uh, you know, you got to think about service accounts, you got to think about users, you have to think about groups, you have to think about cluster roles, cluster role bindings, role bindings, mm-hmm. roles. And then, you know, that that's just the, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and then that's just the basics, right? And then you're like, oh, well, wait, we can use OpenID for this. Oh, let's implement something here for that. Yeah, it's there, there, there's definitely a specialist <laughs> that's needed for that stuff too. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. Cool, yeah so. and
1: and and you're and you're seeing portainer yeah portainer sits in between the users and the machine so you users interface with portainer and if you if you've not yet seen you know portainer is a full kube api proxy so you can use any of your front-end kube tools you know kubectl or lens or whatever you want against portainer because portainer is a full kube proxy and we take care of all of the authentication all of the access control and take care of that through the back-end clusters so you just do it once and it's it's just done for you it's so much simpler
0: Awesome. Very cool. So in terms of, you know, I I think we talked about it a little bit, but, you know, monitoring, observability, all of that stuff. Do you see Portainer being a tool for a platform rather for that as well? Or do you see that more being, you know, on the Prometheus side of the house?
1: I I struggle because I'm I'm still an engineer and I see problems. And in my mind, I come up with solutions. And (laughs) I, I look at something like Prometheus and Grafana. Now, Prometheus is an amazing tool to collect data right? It does that job better than anything else out there. Grafana is an amazing tool to visualize data. It probably does that better than anything out there. It's just showing you screeds of information. You still need a specialist SRE or, or, or expert to look at these graphs and say, "Hmm, hang on a second, graphs 7, 15 and 42 are, are, are high triggers. I know that if, if, if those three graphs go to high triggers, I've got a problem, I need to go do something. There, there's, no, there's nothing out there really that's, that, that's doing all of the analytics and saying, mm, hang on a second, the, the, these three things have triggered. Therefore, I need to tell an admin something's wrong and go do something. So I, I still see a need to have a bit of uh, actionable insights across these metrics. So not not trying to be a better Prometheus or Grafana, but taking inbound feeds into Portainer and, and basically having an alerting engine. And we're actually working on that right now. Being able to ingest ingest all these feeds and say if if this then you know then that, um, and also working on cause and effect. So you know that this one thing happened this caused fifteen other things to trigger, but you can ignore those; just fixes one thing. Because again, if we can minimise the the time it takes to identify a problem and resolve a problem, everyone is better off. And that that th- there's just too much complexity still, uh, or still too much requirement to have experts looking at, at screens of data to determine what to do
0: yeah and uh you know to <laughs> not to throw out uh buzzwords or anything like that but i think that's where like this whole ai ops movement is coming in as well right because it's yep. like for for years i mean for uh, forever almost it feels like we've had a way to look at the data you know from an observability standpoint we've had a way to take out metrics, take out logs, you know, take out traces, all that stuff, and have a look at them. But we knew about it, and it was great, but it still didn't, you know, stop the pain of waking up at two o'clock in the morning to fix something. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, having the ability to have a platform that can look at something and make some sort of action, or, you know, not even necessarily make the action, but tell an engineer, like, Hey, you know, this is, this is what you need to do to fix this, you know, almost like a automatic, uh, automatic playbook, right? Where it just kind of tells you like, Hey, this is what you need to do to go in and fix it, go and fix it. At least it makes it easier than sitting there uh, troubleshooting and putting out fires for, you know, more than 50% of your day, right? Like the the whole idea mm-hmm. here is to reduce toil as much as possible.
1: Yeah. And, and w- one of the things I use um, with my, my product team is an example. So, i'm an engineer i'm I'm, I'm actually managing a cluster half of the nodes in my cluster have failed it's three in the morning do i do i go and wake up an engineer to go and figure out what's wrong well maybe half the nodes in my cluster failing is a pretty pretty big problem maybe i should i should wake up an engineer well hang on a second we we know that peak load comes on the system at 9am in the morning and we know that even at peak load the, the remaining half of the cluster has enough resources to to actually run this thing through peak load without without any kind of problems. So based with based on that knowledge, I don't need to wake someone up at, at three in the morning. It can wait until eight a.m. when they actually get in to 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 fix the problem. And it's that kind of of you know of if if this then that type scenario analysis that we really want to have. It's like well, you know, based on on the knowledge of of normal state when something abnormal occurs. Do we actually need to do something? It's that that kind of intelligence that we want to try and bring.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. I'm totally with you there. And to be honest, I'm. It's it's really refreshing for me as an engineer to hear, uh, you know, uh, somebody like you, you know, with an engineering background and still thinking like an engineer, creating a product like this. It's. Uh, I, I I truly believe that that's a very good thing. So with that, Neil, uh, you know, is there anywhere that people can find you? Uh, you know, Twitter, uh, if they can connect with you on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. Any, any plugs that you want to put in for, uh, for the end of the episode?
1: Uh, so I am on Twitter, uh, Neil underscore cloud. However, I am almost always uh, the respondent behind the Portainer um, Twitter account, much to the shock and horror of marketing. Um, so yeah, <laughs> you'll often see me tweeting engineering responses to, to questions. Uh, I am on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and I'm also just at neil.portainer.io. At and I welcome all inbound emails from anyone with an interest in Portainer.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, Neil, thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. I'm sure everybody listening will be uh, really excited to check out Portainer at the end. So thank you so much for uh, coming on with me. Really do appreciate it.
1: Thanks for the opportunity.